Welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. My name is Luke Johnson, and this is the latest installment of our Competitive Intelligence series, where we take a close look at the strategies of some of the companies we cover and how they are playing out. With me today, as usual, is Casey Merriman, our head of Competitive Intelligence. Hey, Casey. Hey, Luke. Uh, Today, we are going to talk about operational efficiency in the U.S. onshore oil patch. Producers have been promising and chasing efficiency gains at least since the mid-2010s. They've made some progress along the way, but really nothing like what we've seen, at least since the fall of last year, as the oil sector starts to recover from what was an especially traumatic 2020. So Casey, you've been tracking the commentary coming out of the recent earnings season about efficiency, and it all sounds quite impressive. So just kind of give us a recap. What what kinds of efficiency gains are we talking about here? What What's the extent? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, let's fo- focus on the Permian since, I mean, that is, that is the heart of, of kind of the future uh, U.S. oil and, and U.S. oil growth uh, when, when we get there. And, and what we've seen is more than 35% uh, improvement in uh, efficiency, uh, which is kind of measured by production per, per rig out there in the play just since the start of 2020. Um, and perhaps maybe more impressively, a doubling since the end of 2017. And, you know, I think what is really striking uh, about this is we have seen kind of steady improvements in efficiency since kind of the 2016 oil price downturn. But, um, you know, there, there's just kind of this general sense of that sponge had been squeezed, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, uh, you know, what we're hearing is record drilling rates, record complete, uh, well completion times, you know, uh, CEOs are using words like shocked and stunned and blown away. And, you know, of course, uh, you know, management teams like, like to, to put on a good show, but, you know, the numbers back up what they're seeing, right? I mean, the, the one of the kind of anecdotes that particularly stood out to me this earnings season was actually from Exxon. And they made the point that, you know, they can drill the same lateral length with eight rigs today that it, they would have needed like 25 rigs just two years ago, right? And that that has enormous implications for kind of the capital needs of the sector, uh, you know, as it tries to get to something a, a bit more stable. So that's actually a, a distinction I wanted to make. Uh, mm-hmm. We're talking about operational efficiency. Is that the mm-hmm. same thing as capital efficiency, or is there a is there a difference there? Yeah, well, it's it's a it's a bit of both, right? It's it's kind of companies are able to do more with each dollar that they spend. And so that is helping the companies improve their returns, which has been a huge focal point from from investors. Um, And then just from a kind of a wider operational standpoint, I mean, frankly, a lot of these companies have had to let staff go. Um, you know, they have d- downsized, uh, right, and, and, and kind of need a lot of those cost savings to remain in place. So being more operationally efficient, uh, you know, allows them to kind of work within those constraints. The proverbial doing more with less. Yes, exactly. So is this just a matter of companies like now having a decade or more under their belts mm-hmm. of shale experience so they you know they just understand the resource better or is there something about the turmoil of the last year or two that, that's really changed the way companies operate and and just how they approach their assets and, and their spending 
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly both, right? You know, kind of as I said, we have been had been seeing kind of this steady uptick and, and that is about learning, right? I mean, just, you know, companies have a much better feel these days for, you know, how they need to space their wells, the, the, the completion um means that are most effective. Um, there's been a lot of consolidation in areas, which means that, you know, just from an aerial extent, companies have, uh, you know, more consolidated holdings that makes makes them be able to kind of develop that more efficiently. So all of that is absolutely in play. But I think what cannot be kind of understated is this huge leap that we have seen coming out of the depths of last year. And it really was out of necessity, right? I mean, it, it would, it, large corners of the industry really had their backs against the wall, right? I mean, we cannot kind of, again, understate the stress that uh, the collapse in prices and demand put on the sector last year. And so you're talking about, you know, having, to try to keep your lights on, right? Service your debt, stay stay afloat. And, and you know, even companies that weren't on the brink, I mean, the amount of cash that they had available to invest, I mean, just like evaporated, right? And so it kind of spurred innovation. It spurred kind of creativity in and kind of a different point of focus, right? So not that the industry was you know, trying to be less efficient, but it, they had to be efficient, right? And so, you know, I think you saw a kind of a combination of things where, and some of this will maybe fade a bit over time, but, you know, companies went to their absolute best, you know, acreage. They tried to minimize mobilization times. Um, You know, they, you know, maybe plotted, plotted out their very modest development programs in, in a way that could try to maximize efficiency. But even with all that said, um, the, the types of gains were, were just not, not expected. You know, they, they, that kind of ability to make those leaps, uh, industry kind of thought it had already captured most of it to date. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned at the top that we're looking primarily at the Permian Basin, um, but is this a phenomenon that we're seeing mainly in the Permian Basin or are or, or, or other tight oil producers mm-hmm. seeing these gains everywhere or even even some of the, you know, Appalachian or, or gas producers? Yeah, I mean, I think, and this is really, I think, important to that, that point about it, maybe not, it's not just like, oh, they went to the, the best stuff, but that there's just a wider industry efficiency leap is it it has been something we've seen everywhere you know it's been something uh, the efficiency uh, also jumped in the Bakken the Eagleford right these more mature plays where uh, a lot of the top acreage has already been exploited right Um, and we saw it in Appalachia you know maybe not to the quite kind of quite the same extent um, but yeah, and, and gas uh, markets were not necessarily facing the same uh, uh, severe, almost existential pressures uh, of oil markets last year. So, you know, as a whole, um, I think the wider conversation that's happened in the industry where investors are 
prioritizing, demanding, looking for efficiency, capital discipline, you know, returns versus growth, it, it has led to kind of operations just being thought of in a different way, right? Mm-hmm. Just like kind of the, cha- the shift in priorities has kind of unveiled that there, there's a lot, a lot out there that, that, that could still be grasped at. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a, a view out there that operators are, are really, you know, cashing in, maybe even taking advantage of, mm-hmm. of the, the low service price environment um, that's been going on for the last several years um, <laughs> and that their cost structures will look up much different if, if service companies had not been forced to offer these rock bottom rates for, you know, how, however long it's been. Um, mm-hmm. Will will this capital efficiency start to disappear once rig rates and frack rates get back up to normal levels or, I mean, whatever normal means anymore? Sure. Yeah, I, I, that's it's definitely a part of it. And yes, I mean, there there even has been, I would say, kind of some leveling of sorts in, in some of the efficiency figures um, in recent months. Um, it would It would just make logical sense that there would be some pullback um, as as service costs increase. Um, you know, as you, you noted, uh, the pressure on service costs has been something that's been going on for several years, uh, despite uh, the service sector's uh, kind of protests and an argument that that a lot of in a lot of cases, pricing is unsustainable. But uh, there's a reality, though, that there is also just inflation going on right now, like across commodities, right? And so one of the things we did here, acknowledged from ENPs was, you know, labor costs, you know, certainly steel, um, you know, their own energy costs in the field, you know, kind of anything with a commodity, an underlying commodity in it. Yeah, there's there's some upward pressure on, on those prices. And um, it has to be kind of pushed through the value chain. I think Maybe kind of a good example of what this might mean is is Diamondback. Um, so they actually cut their capex like again this year, just very, just recently because they were so capitally efficient, right? Um, then they decided to, to you know complete fewer wells and stuff because they were actually going to grow a bit more than uh, they planned and uh, even apologized for it. Um, <laughs> they, but they, cut, they, they, cut, they cut their CapEx for like $100 million. Yeah, no, exactly. It's 6% of their budget. I mean, that's not insignificant, right? And they're still going to actually produce more than they than they thought they were going to. Um, and But they said, you know what, next year, their budget will probably be about 10 to 15% more than this now lower level, right? And that reflects... Mm. In part, they they've made some acquisitions, so they're you know a larger company, right? Uh, that that they're going to have to kind of um, you know sustain for a, a full year's budget. But it also bakes in a bit of this recognition that um, you know the bottoming of costs has probably happened, um, but that overwhelmingly the the sentiment is that these efficiency gains will really help pad what would potentially be much higher pressures on prices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's it's pretty clear that the service companies are, are ready to see their margins improve a little bit yes. as well. Um, but I guess, and, and that's that's a much easier uh, argument to make at $75 oil, but uh, yes. it'll be interesting to see where we enter <laughs> mm-hmm. budget season um, on the oil price as far as that goes. 
Um, okay, so this no growth mantra uh, mm-hmm. among ENPs ha- has really held, uh, certainly among the the public companies, mm-hmm. um, even, even with these oil prices much higher than they have been in a long time. Uh, as we saw in the in the second quarter earnings, that has really translated into much higher profits and higher cash flows. Mm-hmm. So if companies aren't going production with no real incentive to do so, mm-hmm. at least in terms of the shareholder wishes, mm-hmm. um, what are they going to do with all this extra cash? Yeah, well, the kind of there's kind of two port of calls, you know, so to speak, and, and one has been servicing debt. I mean, you know, the U.S. E&P sector, frankly, has been a poster child in like capital destruction for <laughs> for many many years, and uh, and part of that uh, was tied to. Uh, significant outspending of cash flows, right, to grow Mm. and taking on enormous amounts of debt. Um, And so one of the things that companies have been doing is like aggressively paying down debt, retiring debt, um, you know, uh, despite um, the fact that the oil sector generally is found to pay a bit of a higher premium uh, on bonds versus other sectors, absolute cost of debt is enormously cheap, right? So, so they're using that to just lower their overall uh, cost of borrowing, um, and it, it really has afforded the sector an expedited way to go from you know kind of the brink uh, to to really being arguably more financially healthy, you know, kind of moving forward than, than it has been since, since shale kind of took off. Mm -hmm. So that's been kind of one thing that we, we have seen. Um, And then the other is paying the shareholder, right? So it's uh, the, the, the the sector fell so out of favor um, among investors uh, for that kind of poor, poor returns performance. And so there has been a huge, huge, um, desire to, you know, put a little teaser out there and say, hey, look, you know, we can actually offer you really, really competitive returns uh, when maybe yields and other investments uh, are not so high. And so we've seen, you know, companies maybe that had a cut or suspend their dividends last year, you know, bring them back or start to raise them. Um, one of the, the the big things that we've seen is, uh, you know, kind of special dividends, dividends, variable dividends, something that kind of just pays, you know, kind of splits the rewards between the, the company and the shareholder. Um, and, and, you know, share buybacks in, in other cases, too, just basically one off ways to say here, like, let's let's reward you. Um, I think one of the things to kind of look for is it's called reinvestment ratio, right? And all, all it means is, you know, how much of a company's cash flows do they reinvest in their business, right? And before uh, in the shells kind of height, you know, we would see 120% reinvestment, right? Um, companies have uh, kind of pledged, you know, 60 to 70% on kind of a go forward basis. Uh, but in the first half of the year, uh, I was t- kind of taking a look at the numbers and, you know, the large public ENPs only in- reinvested like 48% of their cash flows, right? Hmm. Now that's not considered sustainable, right? We're still in a transition year, but I mean, that kind of just really speaks to the enormous amount of cash that has been freed up for, you know, these other, these other priorities. Mm-hmm. So 
obviously these shareholder return uh, initiatives have, have been quite uh, popular with the shareholders mm-hmm. and it's come in a, in a, as we said, a much higher oil price environment. Um, mm-hmm. But if, if for some reason we do see oil prices continue to fall as they have been the last few days, even weeks, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, what happens if they have to take these shareholder <laughs> incentives away? Yeah. Well, so one of the things that companies have have done, because I think, you know, stepping back a bit, uh, while, you know, the depths of the downturn we saw last year, they truly are unprecedented, right? I mean, that that was a historic collapse. But uh, beyond the kind of uniqueness of the situation, it really exposed kind of downside risk to companies, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's easy to say that, you know, you work at $30 oil when oil is 50. When it gets to 30, you really, you know, get tested, right? And so there is a, an overall conservatism to not overextend. So what So what you have seen is like with buybacks, right? Company repurchases shares, um, they can stop that at any time, right? And they're not they're not cutting a dividend that, you know, uh, maybe a, a more passive investor is counting on on a quarterly mm-hmm. basis. Um, or we've seen, you know, kind of special or or augmented dividends that you know, it's it's it, it's clear to the investor this could change, right? Or this is a one-off. Um, one of the big things that we have seen catch on is kind of a variable dividend. So these, there's like formulas, right? You know, we will pay 50% of the excess cash flow we have, you know, after we pay our debt, you know, fund our CapEx and pay our, our base dividend. That number is going to change, right? So, so right now it's the really, really big you know but if if the cash flow situation changes they would fall but at least uh you know or at least the hope um is that investors would stay engaged because you know you're you're still going to get something right unless it was you know kind of a true catastrophe situation so that that's kind of how companies have given themselves some some leeway mm-hmm. So I guess million dollar question, uh, not that you're going to have a perfect answer for it, but I, I mean, when, when does the dam break and companies just throw their capital discipline to the wind and, you know, get back into growth mode? Yeah. Well, um, for right, for right now, uh, in, in investors are, uh, doing a very, very good job of, uh, cracking the whip, right? As he has said, uh, Diamondback was like actually apologizing for their wells being more uh, productive than they expected. Um, EOG earlier this year was explaining growth at a future date. Uh, but even then, um, it, you know, kind of investors panicked and like, you know, their, their stock price fell big that day and they, they totally changed wow. their messaging the next quarter. Like, so um, there is that kind of check. What, what we are seeing, you know, is capital discipline doesn't mean no growth. Right now, it means no growth, right? And that's because we still have millions of barrels a day of excess spare capacity, you know, from o- the OPEC plus producers that's just sitting on the sidelines. That's going to come back. Um, you know, as we've seen with oil prices pulling back so significantly, there are real uh, fears about how strong demand might actually be in the coming months, right? You know, independent of uh, 
pandemic lockdowns, just with with kind of the Delta variants uh, emergence, people may just be less inclined to travel, right, to move around and to consume. So, Mm. um, you know, basically what investors have said is we want the this market to actually balance, right? We don't, you know, we don't, you may be able to fund growth at $65, but we say we want $65 and no excess supply on the market, right? So there's like this, this additional component that they're looking for. And by and large, we've heard companies acknowledge that, right? So it's fundamentals, not price that is going to signal things. After that, one of the, the kind of storylines that's circulating is we may actually really need shale to grow, right? Like across the global industry, there has been a real uh, uh, significant pullback in upstream investment, right? It was already happening before COVID that, you know, crippled budgets even further. Um, if uh global oil demand um, actually comes back really strongly. Um, You know, we haven't hit peak demand um, or anything like that. Uh, The world may actually really need shale to grow and investors would likely want to see that. The key is, is it efficient growth, right? Mm -hmm. So that goes to kind of the capital efficiency. They will still want returns to matter. They will still want to get paid, they will still, you know, that that kind of 60-70% reinvestment ratio would probably be what they'd like to see, right? Um, so that that leaves the door open for growth. Um, it just, it will, the message will still be, please, like, do not just go out there like, you know, the drunken sailors and just throw cash all around. Like, we just, we don't want to revisit that. Um, it just was not sustainable. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I think we got to leave it there. Thanks a lot, Casey. Absolutely. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you would like to see more of our news and views, please visit our website at energyintel.com where you can subscribe to any of our services and keep up with the latest developments in the global energy industry. My name is Luke Johnson. We'll see you next time.